All right. We have a great episode of Side Retired, the MLB podcast coming at you guys today. It is Dylan and Matt, as always. And today we're going to be joined by Joey Hanley. So let's get right into this, Matt, and let's hit the intro music. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan and Matt, as always. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we had an interview with Haley Williams and we asked her to nominate a guest at the end of our episodes. And she said that her buddy Joey would be a great guy to have onto the podcast and interview and learn a little bit about his sports perspective. So, of course, we are here today. Joey Hanley from Elite Performance Training. Joey, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. So I think how we generally start this off, and Matt, you can interrupt me if you want to go in a different way, but we sort of ask the vague, general, blanket question of for our audience who doesn't know you or what you do in the sports world, sort of that, who are you question? Yeah, so basically, I played baseball throughout my, you know, my whole life. I actually hated it until I was probably, I want to say 14, because I was just so bad. Um, and I was just scared of the ball. So, um, you know, just took up pitching and then found that that was kind of my passion. So played through college. Um, and in high school, I was a starter. And then when I, once I got into college, I was, I was a closer because my role was basically just like run out to the mound, throw as hard as you possibly can and end the games. Um, so that, you know, that was my thing. And then, you know, I, I realized like I really love the sport and I was like that big analytical player too, like a little bit more of an overthinker, um, especially because my field of study in college was kinesiology and nutrition science. So, you know, I was always kind of thinking about these things, even even in high school, I, I was like this. So I realized like I, I wanted to to coach essentially, but not just the baseball aspect, but I also love coaching the strength and conditioning side of things so um right now what i do is i am a co-founder of uh, my company fearless sports performance um so we work with not exclusively baseball players but right now it's mainly baseball players um both in person and remote um and you know we have a handful of pitchers and also a handful of position players so i would say most of my time is spent doing strength and conditioning um but a lot of my time is also spent doing the pitching aspect of things. And then I'm up here as well, the uh, pitching coach for the varsity team at Oaks Christian High School. Um, and we uh, won the CIF championship last year, which was really awesome in my first year. Um, so, you know, that's what I do now um, is I basically just train guys, call games, well, call pitches at games. And then uh, if I get the opportunity on weekends i try and head up to my uh my college guys games if i can as long as they're you know somewhat local because i still have work and my wife and everything so but that's what i do awesome so i'm i'm interested in this because i know uh, the place i was training at in jersey started doing this towards the end of my time there but what is remote training guys like because you know you're not putting your hands on them you're not kind of in the weight room with them how is that how does that present challenges? How is that beneficial? Can you kind of take us through pros and cons of that? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with the cons because I think that 
is probably the most um the most challenging aspect is that i'm not able to see them during their their time throwing at the field in the weight room um you know it, it's not direct communication during that so there can be times where maybe someone's doing something completely wrong um during an entire session obviously my goal is to write a program that is so detailed that you know we limit how many mistakes that somebody can make but you know when you're on the floor with somebody in person you have the ability to actually correct technique uh give cues um cut sessions short or prolong them if they need to be versus you know like hey here's my program and this is what i'm gonna do today um but i do my best to monitor essentially people's recovery their readiness so you know how well did you sleep how do you feel today what did you eat what did you drink um over the weekend what did you do um so the hardest part is essentially if communication isn't going both ways and then i'm just not able to like see things i'm seeing most of things um via you know like a text message or a video an email whatever it might be and if some of them are you know somewhat local they might come out here and there but um that's that's mainly the the downside of it but the upside is that you're able to impact others careers um beyond just you know where you are locally so i'm able to have an impact uh right now with an athlete you know like in texas or florida um you know and then maybe just somewhere like maybe a few hours up ahead uh so that that's really the pro side of it um as long as you know personally i'm on top of my communication uh and holding them accountable but the best part about it is having an impact somewhere beyond where you are absolutely and i think dylan and i both know you you usually get your typical how you feeling today good you know <laughs> but baseball players tend to uh you know not necessarily be the most articulate with their uh with how they're feeling so i can imagine that can be a, a struggle at times yeah it can be it just it depends on the person you know <clears throat> i think the the younger somebody is probably the more vague uh response you're gonna get but you know like i have an independent ball guy right now so he's you know far more detailed than in touch with you know what he's putting in his body you know when he's waking up when he's falling asleep the times that he trains being as consistent as possible so when i ask him these questions you know he might send me a novel <laughs> response so i'd rather get on the phone with him to hear these things um but also the biggest thing is i also vet the guys that i work with because i don't want poison in a program um, so I won't just, you know, accept anybody who, you know, throws a dollar in my face. It's, it's about creating a culture and making an impact because, you know, it's the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. I want to work with the guys who will put more effort in than I do. And I put, you know, especially for remote, I'm putting in a lot of effort, you know, just on the computer. That That's another downside is I'm not you know, doing the fun stuff that I love is, is a lot of it's just on the computer, writing out the programs, you know, putting it in the app, making sure that their app is working, sending it to them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just try to pick people who are going to be as detailed and dedicated to the process as I am.
And then sort of adding on to that point, because you work with a multitude of different people who are probably different skill levels, different age levels and all that sort of stuff. How do you sort of balance like, okay, do I focus all my attention on the independent league guy or do I put most of it on the high school guy or sort of how do you blend that? How do you figure out who deserves, not who deserves the attention, but sort of who who becomes priority and how do I know I should put this sort of workout program for this guy versus this should be the exercise another guy is doing. So how do you sort of, if there's 10 guys, how do you figure out who gets what and that sort of thing? Well, we go through a pretty detailed assessment process. So I might have somebody who is extremely skilled, um, but they're deficient in a lot of areas. So if I notice that maybe their hips are more retroverted than introverted, or I know that they have um, more range of motion, you know, say, let, let's say like maybe they've got more, you know, ankle uh, eversion, inversion, but less plantar flexion, dorsiflexion. I'll know that these can be, um, even though they're minute things that you might not think of, these are big issues. But my goal is to essentially educate athletes to where if I'm working with a lot of people, they, they should know, you know, hey, this is my deficiency. I don't need my handheld and I'm going to walk through this and ask questions when I need to. So, I mean, the biggest point is I try to treat them all equally as, as if they were all on the same level. And some of them aren't right. You know, I've got in, you know, an independent guy, like you said, and then there, there's a guy who D one commit. Um, I, I don't want to drop names just in case, um, but might get drafted this year. Um, another D one commit who's going to go uh, more down South and then I've got some guys, you know, who are kind of in between and some of those younger guys who really that's not really in their scope yet. I don't think they need to worry about it. But regardless, they're all working toward a common goal, which is getting to the next level, regardless of, you know, is your next level make going from JV to varsity? Is your next level going from college or high school to college or college to the minors minors to the pro that's you're still trying to work toward the next goal and that's what they have in common so it's hard to say that one deserves more treatment or one maybe needs more and there are cases like that right um i think the higher up you are if you're trying to make an mlb roster let's say you're a guy who's throwing 90 miles an hour it is much more difficult to help you get to that 95 maybe even 92 than it is to help a guy who's throwing 80 to jump up to 85, 86. It, it's, it's a very different process. So um, I have to be more hands-on with some people. Um, I would say with pitchers, it's definitely the most hands-on because when it comes to strength and conditioning, it can be very simple. Um, someone's not very strong, but they're, they're fast. They don't need as much speed work. They need to get stronger, vice versa. Someone who's deficient in all of them, you know, that they need to have both, you know, absolute strength in their program and uh, reactive strength. So that aspect isn't as difficult. It's just a little more complicated when it comes to the assessment process of putting that together. But I would say for pitching, it's just so different because it's such a dynamic movement. There are so many things that go into the next piece. Like you hear a lot of like, oh, use your legs. Okay, well how do you do that? Because everyone's different. You might be six foot and weigh, you know, 170 and you might be six foot three and weigh 215. Those people have to use their legs in very different ways. Um, you know, like in high school, I want to say I was about five, eight, about 180. 
one of my teammates who's now in the minor leagues, um, probably six one, a good like one ninety, maybe even two hundred. You know, we had to use our bodies completely differently. So there's also that aspect where I don't, I don't even know if I could say that you know, someone gets more over the other unless they're just so advanced that they need just like a little bit of guidance. And I've yet to really have that um, because I've seen a lot of outliers. You know, I, I have an athlete right now who is a six foot one, 175 pound. I'm trying to get him to gain weight, <laughs> 175 pound lefty sidearm. And he throws uh, 88, 90. Uh, and then I've had guys who are six two, you know, pretty ideal weight and physique um, that could barely break 80. Um, so it's not always as simple as, as your size. Um, it's not always as simple as, you know, like, Oh, his mechanics are this way. So, I mean, it can come down to like very small things like, Oh, you're not waking up at the same time every day and getting sunlight as soon as you wake up. So therefore you're not recovering very well. I mean, these are like such small details that can, play a massive role into your um well for me into the way that i program and approach somebody but for them into their career because for me i'm right i'm managing and monitoring careers these guys are focused on one career and that's theirs so i work for them you know um my job is to create as much um what would you say to create to create such a good product that just failure for me is not going to be an option and something that I just don't even want to go down that route. So um, I try and preach a lot of these things to these guys and keep these kind of more complicated topics away from them because it only serves to make them overthink the way that I did when I played um, and just let them focus on themselves. So I would never want you know, a guy who's say a little more advanced to, to be, you know, left alone. Um, but there are definitely cases where some people need a little more guidance than other people. Like I think the average 15 year old is going to need more guidance than the average 21 year old. Absolutely. And then, you know, you talked about managing multiple careers and, you know, you have a wide client base. There are a lot of people, I guess, doing similar things to you. And Dylan and I are both business students and we're constantly about, you know, with side retired, how do we grow side retired with, you know, anything that we're working on, how do you grow? How do you market yourself? How do you do things differently so that you can get people to want to, you know, to want you versus someone else um, in such a competitive industry? How do you, I guess, try to separate yourself and try to make yourself different and market yourself to guys so that they go with you instead of, you know, any of the, you know, dozens, hundreds of other, baseball and sport performance organizations. Yeah. I mean, it's no secret that there are, I don't, I don't even know how many you could count massive companies out there. Um, and then you've got people who are like me who are maybe a little bit on the smaller scale right now. Uh, and again, I have a business partner and he's, he's a uh, student physical therapist right now at USC. So there's a lot to gain there, but I honestly, truly believe the one thing that stands out just is in one word and that's culture create a culture of hardworking people no matter what their talent level is no matter where they are in their career a culture of hardworking, dedicated and good young men who are 
going to be trajected on a path of success. I think, which is a big reason why it's like, don't accept everybody because that, that can be poisonous. So have a culture, build a culture and uphold that culture. And it starts with me too. You know, it, it doesn't start with them. You have to lead by example, not just words. So if I'm saying, Hey, you guys got to get up at this time, you got to show up at this time, but I'm late all the time. I'm always tired. I'm under recovered. I'm not also training like an athlete. You know, I'm just like, you know, sloppy or I'm training like a bodybuilder or something. I have to lead by example and show them, okay, this is the way you do it. And I'm going to show you first. And then I want to make all of you guys, you know, hold each other accountable and create a culture where like, you know, in between sets and reps or in between throws, they can chop it up. But once it's, once it's work time, you know, they dial in and focus. So I prefer when a new athlete comes my way, I always, I, I usually do consultations, but my first thing is I love them to come see the environment first is like, come check this out because you're going to see something that's, that's a little more rare in the industry sometimes, which is like, dudes are just getting after it, but they're also friends. Like, I can't tell you how many times, like after a training session, I can hear, Hey, you want to go catch a movie? You want to go do this? You want to go do that? So, you know, they're all training partners, but they're also buddies. And some of them even compete against each other in the same league. So I think that that's awesome. And I think culture is the biggest thing. And I think adding on to that as a former player yourself, you sort of grew up in a clubhouse and a culture of being on a team and competing with guys, but at the same time, sort of being teammates with them and being buddies with them. So how do you think, if there's anything else you want to add on that, of sort of what do you think playing throughout your career has now helped you in your sort of post-playing career in a way that now you're able to sort of, you were in the same position these guys were in in the past and sort of maybe not as much, but sort of now that there's definitely newer technology with the guys who are playing right now in 2023, but sort of what is that experience like of knowing that, hey, I was in their shoes five, 10 years ago? It's different because, it, you know, it was a different time. Um, you know, I graduated college in 2020. Um, so I started coaching when I was 22 and, and I'm 25 right now. So it really hasn't been that long. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, high school was very different. You know, tech was just starting to become a thing. In college, like things like Rap Soto had just started and um, Trackman had just started. So now, you know, 14 year olds have exposure to that. When at 14, I had exposure to a radar gun, you know, like that was the most tech we really had. Um, so trying to be as relatable as possible, I have to go more so back to the mental side of things. Um, how do you interact with teammates appropriately? Um, because you are also competing against your teammates for spots. Um, you know, if, you come into a new school as a transfer, as a freshman or whatever, you know, your first thought isn't, oh, I want to not overstep and I'll just be in the pen or I'll just, you know, be a bench guy. No, like your thought is I'm taking someone's spot, but you have to do that appropriately, right? So you have to, you know, I think the mistake that I made was I was too timid about it. You know, I, there has to be a fun part of the competitiveness with your teammates. You know, I think once you start focusing on the guy who's 60 feet, six inches away from you, that's, that's what matters the most. But 
at practice or inner squads or whatever it is, you know, you have to have some competitive fun, whether that be, you know, a little bit of like friendly trash talk. Hey, you know, maybe in the bullpen, this is something one of my, my friends and I would do was basically just like whoever could hit the most spots or whoever could throw, you know, this hard, as long as you were in, you know, a typical below range uh, to each other or in the weight room, whoever could put up the most numbers, something like that. You know, we'd always have like some kind of bet and that would always make things competitive off the field, fun and appropriate to where if we were competing on the field, we understood like, Hey, you know what? You earned it. You got that spot and I didn't, or I got the spot and you didn't, and I earned it. And there's a mutual respect. And I think now it's just so dog eat dog because of how showcases have also taken off right at a showcase. Um, you're there for yourself. You're not there to tow the rubber, even when you don't feel like it. Um, you're not there to go out there on a day you don't feel recovered, or maybe you're even a little bit sick. You're out there, you know, on your A game, full green recovery and ready to essentially just like blow it by guys. Um, so I think showcase ball has really taken a lot of that out too, because not only are you competing against those people, whether you're a pitcher or a position player on the other side, but all those guys in the dugout are also a threat to you. So, you know, when you do a lot of that, you have to have this aspect with guys where you just go, look, there is a healthy way to compete and there's an unhealthy way to compete. And you just have to find that balance and, and teach them. And, you know, everyone's different. Some people are more aggressive than other people. And some people are a little more docile. Um, so you also have to to manage that aspect too, where these conversations can sometimes be a little more individual versus um, where I'm talking to people on a larger scale. Um, obviously in a team setting, um, I try to keep it more, you know, on a larger scale, um, talk to the entire staff, but you know, there's times where you have to pull people aside, but in my private setting, I always try to have these conversations one-on-one -on -one because people have different personalities. Um, and that's also the best part of it too. Absolutely. And Dylan and I played together in high school and I know like Dylan was a senior, my junior year. And then, you know, my senior year, I think we both kind of took on this like upperclassman mentor role. And I, I agree with you. I think creating a culture in the staff of this is competitive, both within here, but in a fun way almost. And then once yeah. you get off the field, you're, you know, all of those guys are now on your side and you want to beat the hell out of the guy who's standing at the plate. Um, exactly. So I definitely think creating a culture, especially within a pitching staff is honestly sometimes more important than the immediate results that you're getting because they end up driving results in the future. Um, yep. You talked about, um, you know, how technology's changed in your career and it's side retired. Our like motto, I guess, is analytics versus eye test, right? We have some guys who are big into, you know, let me sit down with spreadsheets and look at these numbers and okay, this is why this guy's the best player. But then you have guys, and I think I fall into this camp. It's like throw baseball hard. Do you have your stuff? Can you compete? Kind of the eye test. Um, you know, I guess, where do you stand on this? Has your perspective changed as technology has changed? Sure. Yeah. I would say the biggest change for me, honestly, was when I took the pitching coach job is my boss, the head coach, is Royce Clayton, and he played 17 years in the MLB. So obviously his perspective on technology is a little bit more on the skeptical side of it. 
because they didn't use that when he played. You know, he got drafted as an 18-year-old, um, and tech wasn't even a thing. There weren't numbers. You know, there wasn't a shift. People didn't take off their hats to have, you know, like, you know, oh, okay, we shift here. This batter does this. This batter does that. Um, so, you know, hearing his aspect of things, you know, being more naked eye is, is very interesting. And there are things that I've come to basically – look at the technology and say, okay, maybe that wasn't the most efficient way to look at this. And I have a guy who is a D one committed player. Um, I wouldn't call him a showcase ball player. Um, but man, will he play the hell out of a game? Um, and I think one day it is extremely possible that we'll see him on, uh, on an MLB roster. Um, but tech does serve its purpose because we do know objective numbers. Um, objective, we, you know, objectively, we know guys need to throw harder to get people out. Essentially, it's easier to hit 90 than it is to hit 95 plus. It's easier to hit a home run if your bat speed is faster or if you know you hit the ball X amount of miles an hour harder than this guy. So there are objective numbers that we do know, but I don't think that they're always the most reliable. I think things like spin rate can be a little bit more eyewash, um, but I think pitch design and tunneling is a great thing. Um, I think the analytics meet the old school somewhere in the middle, and that's where you kind of find that that really good balance. I mean, if you go and watch a baseball game, and you don't have a clipboard, you don't have a radar, you don't have a track man or whatever in there, you still know which guy on the field is going to be that dude. You know, it. someone hits a home run, you're not going, oh, well, how fast did he hit it? Like, that dude still mashed it. Um, so, you know, there there is that aspect that I've come to learn a little bit more about, you know, like, how can we look at a player and just know he's good? versus look on paper and think this guy's pretty good. There's definitely a gray line. I think the technology is great. It's an awesome tool, but I don't think that we can rely on it because it's just not always going to be lining up with the way the game is. I mean, if your exit velocity is 110 miles an hour off the bat, you still have to piece it up against a guy who throws cheddar cheese. Like if you're throwing 97 you could hit it 110, but you still got to put the bat on the ball. And mm-hmm. if he's got, you know, nasty off speed on top of it, good luck. Look at guys like, you know, DeGrom who have plus velo and plus off speed. And if you look at Verlander, you know, he's, he's a curveball pitcher with a power fastball. He's not, you know, so I think that tech again is amazing, but I don't think we can rely on it. Um, for every aspect of the game. Otherwise um, we're kind of taking the human out of the game. I think. 100%. I think if you take sort of us or with baseball minds, you can sort of look at a pitcher and say, "Hmm, I really think this is the problem or I think this is what's going right. This is what's going wrong. And then you utilize those numbers to sort of like a, okay, we can back check it. We can confirm what our eyes are telling us. That's a really good way to sort of blend because sort of, you're absolutely right in that numbers could spew something out and then it's sort of like the numbers say his slider is bad but no one's able to hit a slider so why would we want to mess with the slider type of thing um yeah it's a cool yeah 
And then look at draft picks. Look how many busts there are because they relied too much on the numbers versus the way this guy played. Mm-hmm. I've heard so many times like, oh, this guy hit 340, 350, whatever. And they're like, oh, but his um, his exit velo wasn't good enough. And they pick that guy who's hitting like 150, 250, whatever it is, has a few bombs on the season, but that's all he can really do. Think about how many busts that there are. And I think a lot of it is because of numbers. And I don't want to blame everything on numbers, but there are people who have never touched a diamond in their life who are dictating the people who get into not only just the minors, but the MLB, which is crazy. I mean, it's because they've never played with a guy who maybe didn't have those numbers, but he's a ball player. Um, So, you know, yeah, I, I think that the draft can be an excellent example of that. Um, but you know, among many others, if you look at showcases, um, and you look at, you know, the surprising numbers of people who are committed to certain division levels, um, that people go, really that guy. And because they relied on the numbers, um, and then you hear so many cases of those guys transferring out or getting cut or red shirted, even if they have a really big scholarship, um, so it's just one of those things that I, I'm not on that old school train of like, oh, it's destroying baseball. I think that it has advanced baseball, but relying on it simply doesn't. Um, I don't think it serves uh, a better a better purpose for the game because I think it's you know it's it's kind of leading to a lot of these like robot umpire type type things. You know, hundred percent. And I think sort of the last thing that we had sort of on the docket to talk to you about is sort of like a, our audience is mainly high schoolers, college age, maybe even some younger, a little bit older, all these sort of people that are entering the baseball world or entering the realm of, they want to pitch at college. They want to pitch at varsity. They want to continue on past college, that sort of thing. So as a guy who's experienced and sort of messed with a lot of different pitchers from a lot of different angles, perspectives and everything like that, what sort of a piece of advice that you'd want to give in every, I know every pitcher is individual, but if there's sort of one thing that you want an eighth grader who wants to start getting onto varsity, a ninth grader who's starting the college application process, what's sort of that one resounding piece of advice that you'd say, all right, guys, if you're taking one thing out of this 20 minute conversation, this is the line I want you guys to remember and take with it. Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's tough, but I'm going to say, look at yourself before you start pointing fingers at others. Too many times in my career did I point at other people before I looked in the mirror and checked myself and bared my issues as a player. You know, you can say to yourself as many times as you want, my coach hates me, he's got it out for me, and that's why I'm not playing. Wrong play people they don't like all the time because they're good focus on yourself be the best at what you do and step onto the diamond and wherever you're training with the thought process of essentially being the best um i think it is a waste of time generally to play a competitive sport regardless of the sport, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, if your goal isn't to be the best at it. Um, 
obviously you can't put your identity into the sport. Now that's something that I've preached a lot about is don't put your identity into a sport because that can really crush you the day that it's over, whether that be an injury, you're not good enough or somebody, you know, you're too old now and it's time to go, but always check yourself, check yourself first, because that is the easiest path to destruction of your own career. If you have an issue with looking in the mirror and saying, what could I do better? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? How can I make the situation better? And how can I take, you know, concrete actions to make myself the best at this I can possibly be because not everyone's going to make it. But the number one regret I have looking back was too late in my career, I started to realize this, that there were a lot of issues I could have fixed had I checked myself first and said, here's how I can make it better versus you've got it out for me and I might as well just quit or I might as well just, um, you know, complain about this. Check yourself and always be looking for solutions to make your problem better and if you're just crushing it and excelling look at yourself and maintain it and when things start to go down because success is never linear you know it's going to go like that remember those times you were doing great always look at yourself first before you begin to look beyond what you're uh what other people are doing completely agree i know from a personal perspective i i did that i guess a little bit later in my career than i probably should have but I also looked in the mirror and I said, you know, what do you need to do to get to the next level? And I kind of realized what I needed to do. And I decided, you know what, that isn't for me. That's not the route I want to go down. I can be involved in baseball in a million other ways than just being on the diamond. Um, so it's even a good way to, to understand, like, do you want to take that next step? Do you want yeah. to be great? Um, and if that's not in the cards for you, stop wasting your time, you know? Um so I definitely, you know, that resonated with me a lot. Uh, so to wrap up, we we alluded to this before we were recording, but we like to to have our guests dictate kind of where the show goes in the future. So if you could nominate one person to come onto the show uh, next, who would that person be? That's tough because there's a lot of really great people. Man, this is so tough because <laughs> there's a lot of people. I would say the best person I could try and put you in some contact with um, would be, would, would be my business partner. Um, he will, I, I was hesitant to, to go this route just because, you know, he and I have obviously a, a similar relationship, but um, he'll have more of the rehab side of things to talk about. He'll have his own experience. You know, he played, uh, NAIA versus NCAA. Um, and, you know, had his, had his own path and journey. And, you know, we crossed paths at one point just training in Florida. So, um, Alex Acevedo, great dude, super down to earth. Um, and he should give you guys some really great insight into the game, especially on the recovery and rehab side. And then also the, uh, the mental side of things. Um, because he's one tough dude um, and a total workhorse. I love it. Absolutely. Matt, we will get on that and try to get him on the show, but 
definitely appreciate all the time, all the insight, all the stories and laughs, Joey, that you've given us today. Definitely appreciate you hopping on with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. All good. So, Matt, unless you got anything else to throw in, until the next time, the side is retired. Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SideRetiredPod in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including the MLB and NHL. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ball game. And now for the rest of today's edition of Side Retired. All right, Matt, that was a great episode with Joey Hanley talking all about sports, sciences, recovery, and everything to do with training. What were your thoughts on the interview? It was awesome getting his perspective both as a coach and as a uh, you know strength and conditioning and nutrition specialist. Um, definitely think there were some good nuggets in there for especially the guys who are trying to break into the baseball world and maybe some of those guys who are still struggling to kind of find their footing and maybe are feeling a little discouraged. I think a lot of good inspiration, but a lot of good also kind of tangible takeaways from, from the interview. Absolutely. We will now get on it to try to get Alex on the show with us as well. So a couple of great interviews coming up in the next week or so. So until the next time, for Dylan and Matt, we will see you soon. And the side is retired.